In John chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. John is telling us who Jesus is by demonstrating the humanity of Christ, but more importantly, demonstrating the divinity of Christ. John is writing the gospel according to John to put to rest all the myths and theories about who Jesus was and to tell people who Jesus actually is. By the time that John writes the gospel according to John, we are probably about 50 to 60 years removed from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Over this time, and as John has ventured farther away from Jerusalem, and as he ventures farther into Greek culture, the Greeks like to theorize, the Greeks like to uh, philosophize, the Greeks like to dream things up and debate them and sometimes believe them. He's dealing with several different false doctrines, doctrines such as Gnosticism, uh, doctrines that uh, question the humanity of Christ, that question the divinity of Christ, that question whether he actually gave his life on the cross. And so John is addressing all of this, and he's setting the record straight. And from this, what he hopes to accomplish in all this is cultivating our faith so that we will believe Jesus, that we will believe in Jesus, and our faith in him will be stronger. In this passage, John tells us how he came to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you say, wait a minute, where was John in this passage? He was the unnamed disciple. John never names himself in the, in the gospel according to John. He refers to himself as that other disciple. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's one of the two disciples here from John the Baptist, whom John the Baptist says, 
that's the Lamb of God. Behold him. And, and he was one of the two that followed uh, Jesus. And so the, John tells us how he came to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And the simple answer of how John became a follower of Jesus Christ is that John the Baptist told him to follow Jesus. That's who you're to follow. John and Andrew had been following John the Baptist because he prophesied that the Messiah was coming. He was the prophesied forerunner. He was the one that scripture said that would prepare the way of the Lord. And so John and Andrew are following John because they know if they follow John, they'll be prepared to meet the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, they will meet him, they will find him, they will see him, and that's the day that they're looking forward to. And when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, and we've talked about what, that's, what that means in, in past uh, messages over the past few weeks. When John pointed and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, they knew he is it. He's the Christ. And so they followed Christ. It's a clear directive from John the Baptist, from the Gospel according to John, from Scripture, and from Jesus himself, that we are to follow Jesus. We are to follow the Lord. It is him that we are to follow. It is him that we center our theology and our faith on. It is him that we base our understanding of the world and our understanding of the truth of God's word on. It is him that we follow and no one else. Notice what John and Andrew do here. They follow Jesus. John says, Behold, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God. They follow the Lamb of God. They follow Jesus. They leave John. Love John, but he's not the one to follow. Jesus is the one to follow. They were following John for the purpose of finding the Christ in whom they would follow. We are to follow Jesus. We are to follow his teachings. We are to follow his precepts. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't follow the teachings of mere mortals. And we need no man to translate Christ to us. We need no man to be the go-between. That doesn't mean we don't value good teaching. That doesn't mean we don't value good preaching. What it means is we don't need someone to be the go-between between us and Jesus. We follow Jesus directly. And you can read the scriptures and you can get to know the Lord personally through your study of the scriptures without having to have a guru there to explain it all to you. We don't follow men. I like to quote Charles Spurgeon in my messages. I think he had a lot of wisdom. I think he said a lot of great things. He preached a lot of good messages. But I don't follow Charles Spurgeon. I follow Jesus. I like to listen to J. Vernon McGee on the radio, the, the Bible bus trip. The man has a passion for scripture. He, he wanted to be true to what the scriptures actually said. He did his best to teach the scriptures in the way that was true to them, in the way that was true to what was actually being said in those scriptures, in a way that would cultivate your faith. But I do not follow J. Vernon McGee. I follow Jesus. Amen. Tony Evans can illustrate a passage. He can get that the, the, the paintbrush of his words and paint the picture of exactly what was going on and can actually say it in a way that is entertaining to listen to. But I don't follow Tony Evans. My faith is not based on Tony Evans. My faith is in the Lord. We follow the Lord. We follow the Lord directly. We follow Christ directly. And so in this passage, 
John is not only going to tell us how he became a follower of Jesus, he's not only going to imply that we too should follow Jesus, but he's also going to tell us what it looks like when we follow Jesus. So I want us to look at following Jesus this morning. In this passage, we're going to see that following Jesus means abiding with him. Wait a minute, how's that possible? He's in heaven. We're going to talk about what abiding means. It means to be in the presence of, to be centered around, to be united with. That's what it means to abide with. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we're going to see how following Jesus means leading others to Jesus. And third, we're going to see how following Jesus means believing him. So first, following Jesus means abiding with Jesus, abiding with him. We look in verses 38 and 39. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. These two disciples, on John's instruction, were following Jesus. And they followed Jesus with the intent to learn from him. They followed Jesus with the intent to serve him. This is the Messiah. This is the Lord. This is the Christ. This is the Deliverer. This is the one who was promised. This is the Son of God. This is the King of Israel. This is the one whom we will serve. And they follow Jesus. And as they follow Jesus, they are going to where Jesus is going. And they follow with the intent to learn from him. They had been learning from John the Baptist. They want to learn from Jesus directly now. They are following with the intent to learn, and they are following with the intent to serve. You say, where does it say that in the passage? You read the rest of the book, and you see it in action. Andrew and John were great disciples. They followed to learn. They followed to serve. And you look at that motivation, we have to ask our motivation, why do we follow Jesus? Do we follow Jesus? And if we follow Jesus, if we are centering our theology on him, if we are centering our faith on him, and if we are centering our lives on him, do we do this? And if we do this, what is our intent? Are we following to learn and to serve? Are we following for another purpose? Jesus would go on to have a following of thousands of people. Thousands of people would go on to follow Jesus. We'll see that before we get through with the book of John here. But why were they following him? Thousands of people followed Jesus because he could feed them with loaves and fishes, because he could heal, because they thought he was going to be a great commander to run off the Romans. They all have these temporal, worldly reasons for following Jesus. People today claim to be Christ followers. They claim to be Christian. They go to church. Why? What's their motivation? Because they want their dreams to come true. I talked to a young man one day that he felt that it was God's will for his life that he become a famous actor. And he's following Jesus to be a famous actor. I, I, I know other people that they follow Jesus when they are having trouble. They've got problems in their life, financial problems, family problems. We'll go to church, we'll follow Jesus. Jesus will work all this out. And if he does, they quit coming. If he doesn't, they get disenchanted and they leave. They're following for temporal earthly reasons you see why are we following jesus why do you follow jesus what's your motivation here 
These two disciples, they followed Jesus. They followed him to learn. They followed him to serve. And these two disciples abided with Jesus. They asked where he was staying. That's kind of an interesting question. Jesus turns around and says, what are you looking for? And they say, where are you, where, where are you staying? That's, that's an interesting start to the conversation, right? But, but why, do, why do they ask that question? Because they want to go where he's staying. They want to be where he is. They're going, they're, going to, they're going to live in and they are going to serve at his side at all times. They stayed where he was staying. That means that they were all in. They were committed. Do you think John and Andrew were homeless? That they were living under a bridge? That, you know, that, hey, can we borrow your bed tonight? No, th- these guys, they had families. John's father had a family business. They were in the fishing business. Andrew is Peter's brother. Peter's in the fishing business. They have businesses. They have homes. They have lives. But they're leaving that all behind to follow Jesus. They're all in. They are totally committed. And from this point on, they would be with Jesus and he would be with them. The former life is not relevant at this particular time in their lives. They are not worried about the fishing season, what the fishing crop is going to bring in, what their businesses are doing, what their homes are doing. They had all these things. They had all these things to worry about. But what you see them worried about in this moment, what you see them thinking about and concerned with this moment is Jesus. And throughout the rest of the book, they are by his side. The, the former lives are not discussed. They are not trying to go back now. In John chapter 21, after, after Jesus had risen again, they, they went back to fishing because they were kind of at a loss of what to do. Mm-hmm. But throughout the rest of the gospel, according to John, it is centered on Jesus. They would be with Jesus. They were totally committed. They were all in. Do we have this same level of commitment today? Are we willing, I'm not saying you should leave your home and leave your job and leave your business, but are we willing to leave our comfort zone behind in order to follow Jesus? Are we willing to step out of our comfort zone and share the gospel with somebody? Step out of our comfort zone and serve. Step out of our comfort zone and put the money in the offering plate. Step out of the comfort zone and teach a class. Step out of the comfort zone and minister to someone that we know needs a ministry, but we fear that we will not see any fruit from this. Do we have that willingness to step out of our comfort zone and to follow Christ? And are we willing to go where he is and to follow him on his terms, to center our lives on him? Do we want our world to revolve around Jesus Sunday morning, the worship of him, the mission of the gospel, the ministry of the gospel, are we willing to go abide with him, to go live with him? Or do we want him to come over to our place? We can give him the spare bedroom. And he can stay on our terms. Just become another part of our lives. So that we can continue, as before, unchanged. I want Jesus in my life. But I still want to fill in the blank. There was a woman on television. She had called into the Ellen DeGeneres show and she said, I love Jesus, but I drink a little. And that became a cultural phenomenon. I love Jesus, but I drink a little. I love Jesus, but I'll cut somebody if I have to. I love Jesus, but. And it's one thing 
to acknowledge your imperfection, but also acknowledge your love for Christ and his redemption of you. It's another thing to say, I can love Jesus and live in my sin too. Now, the words I have spoken to you have been said in both, in both spirits. There have been those who have said those things, confessing their imperfection, but proclaiming their love for Christ and his redemption in their lives. And there are those who have said those things, and they are telling you that they love Jesus, but they're going to continue in their sin. And that's self-deceptive, is what that is. A lot of people just want Jesus to be a part of their lives. I'm a Christian, but that's not all I am. No, that's all you are. The gospel has transformed you, a child of God. That's what defines you. That's who you are. Following Christ means abiding in him. It means abiding with him. It means letting him lead us to where he is. Mm -hmm. Letting our lives be changed. Leaving behind the old habits. Leaving behind the old desires. Leaving behind, in some cases, the old location. And moving on to the transformation that he brings. Following Jesus means abiding with him. Secondly, following Jesus means leading others to him. In verses 40 through 42, one of the two disciples who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. These two disciples, they have found Jesus. They have found Christ. This is the one promised to Israel. This is the one promised by Moses. This is the one promised in the Old Testament. Those Pharisees went to John the Baptist. They said, Are you the prophet? And John said, I am not the prophet. I am not the prophet like unto Moses. The prophet like unto Moses has now arrived. And John the Apostle, it's hard. John the Baptist, John the Apostle, and y'all trying to remember, y'all trying to follow me on which John I'm on. John the Apostle has found the prophet like unto Moses, has found the Christ, has found the Messiah. Andrew has found the prophet like unto Moses, has found the Christ, has found the Messiah, has found the promised one to Israel. You know what this means? The scriptures are right. The Old Testament was true. The promise has been fulfilled. You know what this means? It means we're saved. That's a word you don't hear very much anymore. We're saved. What's it mean to be saved? We are being rescued from this evil world and being redeemed from our sin and being welcomed into God's kingdom once and for all. We're saved. The deliverance and relief they had been promised, that they had been waiting for their entire lives has come. Everything they have ever wanted, everything they have ever believed is right here in Christ. Here it is. This is what we've been hoping for. Is this not exciting? Is this not exciting? This was so amazing that Andrew had to go to his brother Peter. And Peter, while Andrew's over here following John the Baptist, Peter's working the fishing boat. You think there might have been some discussion between the two brothers? Yeah, you go on following the prophet. I'm going to sit here. I'm, I'm going to pay our bills. You think they had that kind of conversation? Andrew is so amazed. He's got to go find his brother Peter and say, hey, here he is. We found him. Notice Andrew's motivation. He is so moved by the incomparable Christ 
that he cannot help but tell Peter. Andrew is not moved because he was told he had to go out and witness. He is not moved because the church needs to grow. He's not moved because he feels like he ought to do something for the Lord. He is moved because Jesus is so amazing, he cannot help but tell others about him. Verses 45 and 46, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, Come and see. Philip is telling Nathanael all about Jesus. And when Philip is telling Nathanael all about Jesus, He's not, just, he's not just saying, hey, we found the Messiah, we found the Christ, we found this amazing prophet, we found this good man. We found, by the way, Philip was called by Christ. Let's not, let's not overlook that. Philip is telling Nathaniel not just how amazing Jesus is on a personal level, he's telling him about what the Bible says about Jesus. This is the one whom Moses wrote about. This is the one whom the prophets have wrote about. And this means something because these guys grew up memorizing the Old Testament. You remember all those verses we had to learn? The one that, he, the one that those verses spoke about is here. I mean, is it not spooky when you see something happen in the world that fulfills a scripture? And you say, ooh, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Ooh, what's going on in the world today? Pestilences and earthquakes and famines. Pestilences, famines, and earthquakes in diverse places. And they don't talk about the earthquakes very much. We have them in Texas now. That used to be a Californian problem. Yeah. Sorry, Jess. But, I mean, we used to like, oh, you know, I don't want to go to California. There's, there's earthquakes out there. And the Californians would say, I don't want to go to Texas. There's tornadoes out there. And, and, and so we, we, just, we kept our natural disasters to ourselves. We have earthquakes in Snyder, Texas. I mean, there was a... There was like a 2.0 or a 3.0 earthquake in Jacksonville, Texas, like in 1981 or something. And we learned about it in history class as a historical event. And now, now nobody even remembers it because we're having those like every 15 minutes out in the Permian Basin. They blame it on fracking. There's, there's something else at play here. Earthquakes are becoming more frequently to the point that we're not even making a big deal about it anymore. We have the pestilences. That's your COVID. And that's your COVID again. And that's your COVID again, okay? You got your COVID, you got your Omega, you got your BA5, you got your Omicron, you got the Transformers, and then we get monkeypox. And let's not even get into that deal. And, and they're going to come out with something next year. Next year, we're going to have something that is totally freaky. And it's just pestilences. And the famines. Uh, we're well fed here for the most part, but I mean, how many times do you go to the grocery store and there's shelves that are empty? Yeah. My generation never knew that. This is new to us. That we're out of bread, we're out of milk, we're out of eggs, we're out of Red Baron frozen pizzas. You know, the, 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 good hot, the good brand of hot dogs aren't there. We have to buy the cheap brand of hot dogs. I mean, and this is light. I mean, this is mild. I mean, there's still food on the shelves, but, but, I mean, the, but they keep telling us it's going to get worse. So there's famines happening. And this is in the advanced world, the economically ad, advantaged world. You can only imagine what's going on in the third world, like Brother Wayman mentioned during Sunday school about the folks waking up and wondering if they're going to eat that day. Okay, we're, we're starting to see this more and more. And it lines up with scriptures. Has, does this not get your attention? And Nathaniel is being witnessed to by Philip. And Philip is talking to Nathaniel. And Philip is not saying, hey, we, I think we found the, the Messiah. He's a really good guy. He's tall. He's strong. Ha gives good speeches. We think, no, he says, no, this is the one that Moses wrote about. The scriptures we learned growing up. 
This is what they say about him. This is what he's doing. He's the one that Moses wrote about. He's the one that the prophets wrote about. The time that God has chosen to redeem Israel is here. That is what Philip is telling Nathaniel. Philip has gotten to know Jesus, not only personally, but he has gotten to know Jesus in light of the scriptures. He knows what the scriptures say about him, and he knows who he is, and he knows why he is, and he is so confident that he tells Nathaniel, we have found him, and Nathaniel says, but he's from Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, Phil, and Philip is so confident, he says, come and see. He's saying, you see this for yourself, you're going to believe this. Come on, come and see. He is so confident in Jesus, he says, come and see. And do we have that level of confidence about Jesus? How well do you know Jesus? How well do you know what scripture says about Jesus? How confident are you that Jesus is the answer? That Jesus will be bring healing to you, your family, your friends, those you tell about Jesus. How confident are you that Jesus will heal, that Jesus is the answer for them? Are you confident enough and do you know Jesus enough to tell your friends about him? Well, what if it doesn't work? We have, to, we have to understand the bigger picture. Some of y'all have been waiting on Jesus to heal you. And you don't think that healing's come yet. And I understand why you don't think the healing's come yet. You ask Jesus to heal your body, your body's still broken. You ask Jesus to heal your family, your family's still broken. You ask Jesus to heal your finances, your finances are still broken. You ask Jesus to heal your brain, and you've still got some sort of dementia. I mean, you know, and, and, you, and the healing you're looking for in this world... We've got to understand the, the, the eternal perspective on things. Where you find healing is where you are able to endure the hardships of life, but still be able to look up and know that God is good. Amen. And know that what you're really looking forward to is the day that you were delivered from this wretched body in this broken world. Or maybe it's a broken body in a wretched world. I'll let you apply the adverbs and adjectives however you want to. But whatever it is that you're in, broken body, wretched world, wretched body, broken world, however you want to look at it, that you're going to be rescued from this one day and welcomed into his kingdom. And knowing that brings you peace. That even when no one else has forgiven you, you haven't forgiven you. And as David said, my sin is ever before me, that you still know that God has forgiven you. And you can find peace in that. If we are following Jesus, if we are centered on Jesus, if we come to serve Jesus, we will want to lead others to Jesus. And finally, following Jesus means believing him. In verses 47 through 48, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, a true Israelite, an Israelite indeed. He's a, this guy's the real deal. Not only is he an Israelite by nationality, He's an Israelite by faith. Nathaniel was probably a very devout guy. He was probably a very faithful man, trusted the scriptures, which probably has a lot to do with why Philip went and talked scripture to him. This is, a this is the real deal. He is a man of integrity. Behold, an Israelite indeed, a true Israelite, one who truly is, in whom there is no, and if you're in the King James Version, guile. If you're in the ESV, it's deceit. It's the same thing, okay? And so this guy, he is not a poser. He is not a hypocrite. He's not a Pharisee. When it comes to his faith, he is the real deal. He is the real deal. And Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no, no deceit. 
Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Nathanael has been given a head knowledge presentation of Jesus. Now he's having a personal experience. How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. More than simply going off the testimony of his friends, Jesus is flat out telling and demonstrating to Nathaniel who he is. He is the Christ. And likewise, the Lord has revealed and demonstrated to us who he is. He has revealed himself to us through the scriptures. Not only the Old Testament that foretold of him, but the New Testament that described his fulfillment of the Old Testament. That's how you look at the New Testament. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The New Testament is a divinely inspired commentary explaining to us how Jesus Christ fulfilled the promises of God in the Old Testament. That's what the New Testament is. The New Testament does not usurp the Old Testament, doesn't replace it, doesn't change it. It explains it. It's a fulfillment. And then we get some prophecy in there that will tell us what's still coming. The Lord has revealed who he is through the scriptures, but he's also revealed it through the spirit. That spirit speaks to your heart and lets you know that you have found the truth, that you have found peace. Verses 49 through 51, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You're going to see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't have to do a lot of convincing here. Philip didn't have to do a lot of convincing. Philip put some scriptures in front of Nathaniel and said, Come check it out. Nathaniel goes to check it out. Jesus identifies Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, I'm in. I'm in. Point made. You are Jesus Christ. You are the Son of Man. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus goes, wow, that was easy. And you look at Jesus. He goes, because, because, <laughs> he says, um, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? <laughs> That's all it took? I mean, you read in between the lines here and you get this sense that Jesus is really pleased by this conversation. That he's kind of impressed. And you know what? You want to impress God? Is it possible to impress God? You want to impress God? You want, to, you, want to, you want God to say, that's my boy or that's my girl? Believe him. Yes. When in the scriptures do you see Jesus marvel? When in the scriptures do you see Jesus in amazement? It's when people have expressed their faith to him. Amen. Whether it's Nathaniel saying, oh my goodness, you're him. <laughs> or whether it's the, the Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 8, that tells Jesus, I know you have the power to heal my servant from where you stand right now. Mm -hmm. The Bible says, talking about that centurion, the Bible says that Jesus marveled at his faith and said that he had not found so great a faith in all of Israel. Israel, who had the prophecies, who had the scriptures, did not have as great a faith as a Roman centurion who is just picking up little bits and pieces being in the culture there. What a great faith. That, that impressed yes. Jesus. You want to impress Jesus, believe him. Yes. 
Here, Jesus has declared and demonstrated who he is, and Nathanael instantly believes him. Contradict this with the Pharisees who continually demand more signs. Give us a sign to show us that you have the authority to do this. And what about the non-believers today who demand more evidence? We need more archaeological evidence. We need DNA evidence. We need video footage from 2,000 years ago. We, we need something that, that plainly de declares this. Why doesn't God just show himself? He did just show himself. You guys crucified him, okay? Well, why doesn't God reveal? You know, you look at the atheist today who demands more evidence. You look at the Pharisees back then who are demanding more signs. What did Jesus say about them? He said it's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. Nathaniel takes Jesus at his word and believes. Nathaniel's simple belief pleases and impresses the Lord who then promises greater things to come. Do we believe the Lord? Do we trust in him? Do we believe in him as he is revealed to us in the scriptures? We cannot be followers of Christ without that faith. That's right. That sounds basic and elementary to you. Can't be a follower of Jesus without faith. That's right. But if you're constantly doubting who Jesus is, you don't have faith. You may convince yourself you don't have faith, but you don't have faith. Somebody will say, I'm a Christ follower. Well, what about this in the scriptures? Well, I don't know that that's really the truth. You know, the, the Bible is written by men over, you know, that you don't have faith. You can't take the Bible for what it is. You can't take what the, the, what the Bible says for what it is. You don't have faith. You're making something up. To be a Christ follower, you have to have faith. Do we believe the Lord? My kids have signed up for their classes. Well, most of them. One of them still needs to turn in his resignation. His Registration. Registration. Nobody, nobody should be resigning anything. But one of them hasn't turned in his registration paperwork. Or maybe he has and hasn't told me. You have your core classes. This is what you have to take to get this diploma. And then you have your electives. Your additional things that you can do. One of the cool things about college was I could take a class on fencing. Now, I'm not learning to build fences, Brother Wayman, but learning how to sword fight. I took a swimming class. I took a bowling class. It was a very profitable education. That was money well spent right there. I can bowl a 102 now as opposed to a 70, which is where I was before I took the class. So that was an improvement. People want to claim to be a Christ follower, but they want to treat Jesus like an elective. If you're going to be an accountant... Accounting is not an elective class for you. That's your core subject. If you're going to be a Christian, then Christ cannot be an elective for you. He is the core of who you are. So to follow Christ, we need to center our lives, our beliefs, our theology on him. Come to serve, come to give, not come to see what we can get out of it. And to try to draw as many people into this as we possibly can. Let us stand.